Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. Due to the Christmas holiday season, we did not have a Bible study class this week, but that doesn't mean you on the podcast are to go without. I sit down with Pastor Adi this week, and we talk about bridging the worlds of psychology and theology, mental health, and the altruism of atheism. Enjoy. That's always the dilemma, because it is for me too, is is if you're going to be a bridge person, then you have both, you have each foot in, in each camp. And what happens with that is that you end up being, uh, both camps look at you with suspicion because you're not totally bought into either position and you're trying to bridge the two together and, and that's hard to do if there's an impasse. Or both camps just looking at you as an adversary. Well, they, you would because you'd be catching flack from both ends. That's that's the hardest part about being a bridge. Right, yeah. yeah. It's it, like just trying to be more of a mediator in a way, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I do take devil's advocate arguments mm-hmm. sometimes, and then yeah. other times it's it's something that I really do hold as, right. as an opinion. Right. But I just keep trying to under... It, it's a process for me to try and understand the other side yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. If that makes me not in someone's tribe or camp or whatever, then uh-huh. so be it. But I'm I'm trying to go more onto the side of understanding. I do too. I maybe that's why you and I resonate so much or resonate so well. For me, the primary uh, the primary sp- space of trying to bridge has not typically been between the areas of uh, po- politics and theology. That's just neither one of those has been a super strength for me, and I haven't really been all that interested, frankly. But where my interest has been is in bridging the gap between um, theology and psychology, and that kind of makes sense given given where where kind of where my um, heart is and and where my interest is, and and so it always interests me from the perspective of thinking that each side of theology and psychology kind of tend to look at each other as being the enemy. Psychology is often accused of being, oh, those secular atheists, and theology is often accused of being a bunch of fundamental uh, fundamentalist kind of uh, people that have been, you know, indoctrinated and they have no thought of their own. And it's just, it's to me, that's so uh, almost inviting someone like me to come in and say, Okay, well, let's figure out a way to work together. Can we play in the same sandbox, or do we have to be on opposite sides of the sandbox, throwing dirt claws at each other and saying, you know, you're the bad guy, you're the bad guy? So I look at that from that perspective as being really important to be able to do so that Christians can, or just maybe Lutherans, can feel comfortable getting psychological help and not have to just say, oh, Bad, bad secular humanism is terrible, and and I should never go see a counselor or never go see a a a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And I would say, huh, you better, you know. But to do that, you have to have a certain comfort level with that. It's not being so far on one side, say on the theology side, like oh, well, just pray about it to God, and eventually that's it'll right. Go, it'll that's go right. away. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's 
on the on the other side, it's not like okay, don't talk to God at all. Mm-hmm. Just you know, trust in the work of your yourself or trust you know, talk it yeah. over with another person. Yeah, you know, it, it it is a little bit of both. Like it involves prayer mm-hmm. to God, and then you know, who knows? Maybe God is speaking to you to go seek help with someone else. Right, that they've in. Uh, that that he has given the skills to help you work mm-hmm. through whatever issue you're going through. Yeah, I it, you know it was interesting to me, and I really was the idea of being this bridge person was really uh, brought to the forefront to me when I was in Nacogdoches going to SFA because SFA is a state school; it's not a, a religious school, and all of my professional schooling up to that point had been in the Lutheran system with Concordia. Austin and then and then Fort Wayne to the senior college and then seminary in St. Louis. So so all of my theological formation had already occurred and then I went to a state school where you know generally speaking uh, we did not study bible in our classes. We were studying theories of of counseling or theories of psychology. But what I found so interesting was was partly cuz I took it took me five years to get my my master's in, in counseling because if you remember I was still you know running the church or you know pastoring the church and that was a full time gig and and so I only had time to take one class per semester for five years but what that actually enabled me to do was to um, for the profs to really get to know me and me get to know them in the counseling department and then what happened was. Some of the professors in the psychology department asked me if I would be willing to come over to their department and speak to their classes about the role of spirituality in counseling. Because that was that was sort of the beginning. This would be in, let's see, when would that have been? 80, somewhere around a 19, not at 1996 or so, somewhere around there that that was just the beginning of when psychology was starting to become aware of the fact that people have spiritual beliefs. And is there a way to incorporate that into psychology, which kind of looks at religion as a bit of a, well, the opiate for the masses, as it's often said. Um, so there, And there were a lot of atheists in the psychology department who felt like, you know, religion, there's no place for religion in the science of psychology. And so that was... That was kind of an interesting development that I was able to go into um, Psych 101 or Abnormal Psych or whatever the class was and talk about that from a pr- perspective as a Christian who was studying to be a counselor and, and, and possibly seeing a way to bridge, bridge the two. So it happened at that level even back in those days, and then that's continued to be, I think in some sense, a a mission, I suppose, that I feel like I have in life to see if there's a way to bridge the two. It just gets harder and harder to do that in a world where the the polarization is so intense now that it's hard to not, it's really hard to find the middle place and then have the fortitude to stay in the middle place. Right. So, and so you're still trying to figure out how to how to bridge the two? Or have you like worked uh, up some, some good connections? You know, it's not. It yes. I mean, the answer is yes. That still is a that still is a core value for me. 
In fact, I would say it's a super core value. So there's core values and then there's super core values. So for me, super core values are those values where you say, at the end of the day, I want to make sure that I was true to that. So that's a super core value for me. So yeah, I, because um, society changes um, in some sense and psychology changes, it, that then what happens is you have to you're having to kind of redefine all the time where the middle is, and while you're doing that, you're you're pro- you're taking shots, you're taking shots from from the purists on either side of the line, and um, you have to be able to say, well, okay, thank you very much for that um, rotten egg you just threw in my direction, but I'm committed to that perspective that we can still appreciate the gifts that we each bring to the table. And, and so that shows up in, my, in, in the Bible class that I do, in the sermons I preach, in the conversations I have. But not everybody wants to engage in that conversation because they're either way far to the right or way far to the left of where I am. And so, okay, can't, can't help that. You know, it's interesting that we that we've come across this conversation mm-hmm. between psychology, theology, mm-hmm. because I've started to delve more into uh, like a mental health uh, type exercise with uh, meditation. Oh, uh, good. Speaking, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, mindful meditation, right. uh, specifically. Mm hmm. And that's just something that I've heard as recommendations constantly on some different podcasts that I've oh, listened no, to in my own that's time. Oh, no, that's a viable deal. Yeah, um, sure is. And do it, when doing my own research into it, it has origins to my understanding within the the Buddhist mm-hmm. belief. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you, can, you have to convert to be a Buddhist in order to well, practice it's not meditation. Exclusive. It's not exclusive, yeah, it's not exclusive to that. At all. But the, probably in our modern life... When people talk about meditation, then they will cite Buddhist um, uh, writings. And, mm-hmm. and, and so, again, it's very popular to talk about it from that perspective rather than talk about it from Old Testament Israel where David is saying, I meditate on your law day and night. I mean, so right. yeah, I don't know which predates what, but, you know, meditation right. is, is a viable, it's a viable gig. Yeah. Right. And, I, and, and I'm a and I'm approaching it not cautiously, but just with more of a mm-hmm. an open mindset to it. Because, like, I've heard some stories from friends, family, from their own upbringing mm-hmm. of you know this like meditation or even yoga or something like that being condemned right. uh, as as being anti-Christian or something right. like that. But right. but there's definitely a transformation happening mm-hmm. in that area where it's it's becoming more. I guess secular would be the term. Yeah, I I think so. I you know I'm not sure what the if people map. I'm sure there's people that map out how something gets transformed from one thing to the other. Right. Okay, so where yoga might have its origins in uh, you know Hinduism or something, or meditation has its origins in in uh, in Buddhism, you know, these other um, religions. And then how does it become Christianized? Or, you know, in my world, how does it become Lutheranized? You know, how does that happen? Well, probably what happens is you keep some essence of it, but you change the wording. 
you know, so instead of meditating on um, some something that would be the language of uh, of Hindu or the language of Buddhism, you stead, instead are meditating on God's Word. But you're still doing the breathing, you're still doing the relaxation stuff, you're still doing the clearing, so to speak, of your mind, those kinds of things. Some people look at that and say, it's all or nothing. So if you do any of it, then you're introducing elements of of uh, heathen practice into your DNA or into your mindset. You know, I think others would say, no, um, you know, if I'm doing breathe, deep breathing and slowing my metabolism and then focusing on God's Word, I'm still employing the use of something that is pretty timeless, but obviously I'm using the power of God's Word to be the the activating force of my of my meditation. So, you, my answer probably right, right there yeah. tells you where where my what my position would be on that. Exactly, yeah. and there are different forms of meditation where there's there's one where you have a mantra that you repeat over and yeah. over again. Right. Which yeah, which I can understand, which is understandably how can you know I can understand how that can rub people the wrong way. Yeah, from, particularly from a, yeah, if you're talking about chakras and other, yeah, exactly. you know, other things, or if, you know, oh, higher power, you know, higher power is good. Well, if that's your mantra, I, from, a, from a more biblically conservative perspective, we would say, well, why don't you make it like God is love? What's the objection to using the word God? Well, some people, oh, I can't use the word God, but I'll use higher power. So there's, right. you know... I, Okay, I mean, right. <laughs> and so, for example, this morning I tried to get into a better. I'm trying to change up my my morning ritual, for yeah. lack of a better uh-huh. word, and incorporating in some mind mindfulness meditation, mm-hmm. which involves focusing on breathing, mm-hmm. concentrating on the breath itself, and kind yes. of just living in that moment. Yes, um, and it. Like that's a quiet time when I'm able to do that Mm -hmm. because I'm staying in the practice of waking up early Mm because I have to go to work pretty early. Sure. Um, But I do wake up early enough where I have some time in the morning for myself to, you know, while after my coffee, like while my coffee's brewing or something like that, I'll have like a nice. It's good that caffeine is a part of your morning (laughs) ritual, Philip. For sure. Yes. And I'm trying to incorporate this mindfulness meditation Mm -hmm. practice where it's basically just a short 10 minute period, sometimes guided, sometimes self guided, of just keeping my eyes closed and focusing on Mm -hmm. my breathing. And, and I'm trying to incorporate this going into the new year, but also at the end of that session, at the very end, like I stop and I say, you know, I just say a prayer uh, to God, thanking him for the day and, and, you know, what what I hope to accomplish throughout the day and whatever he may have planned with for me along the way. And so that, that's kind of my, my way of bringing that back to a more Mm -hmm. uh, Christian centered God-focused meditation. I love it. Uh, do you use visualization at all as either a form, uh, something to add to your meditation, or something that just sort of by default becomes a part of your meditation? I don't use a visualization, but I do use, sometimes I use audio mm-hmm. uh, to help me with that. I, I actually use an app, uh, a free meditation app called yeah. Oak. Oak. That, that mm-hmm. I find is is pretty helpful. Is that helpful. O-K-E or uh, o- O-A-K? Like, like, an, oh, like an oak like tree. tree. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they have a few different options in there where 
They have a few different guided meditations, mm-hmm. I should say. And with each one, you can choose how long you want it to be, whether you want a narrator to help guide you through mm-hmm. all the motions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also what I really enjoy is background uh, music yeah. or background sounds. Yeah. So you can have like a stream, you can mm-hmm. like have cave sounds, you yeah, can have waves like, of the ocean. Yeah, wa- exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, like just like wind yeah, on sure. the wind in, in the valley or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, or just none at all. Mm-hmm. And as you go through it, narrator guides you through and then eventually it, you're, you're off to go on your own and mm-hmm. practice on your own. Right. But then periodically there is a gong mm-hmm. sound that happens to help you, you know, help remind you, okay, you need to like, if your mind wandered, then, you know, whatever kind of brings had, you back, kind of yeah. bring, bring right. you back to that breath and then sure. center you. Sure. And then it lets you go again. Yeah. It's nice. And you can go from 10 minutes to, I don't know, like however long you, mm-hmm. you know, if you feel like you want to go longer, you can. I think there's a certain amount of um, training the body and the brain to, tolerate i use that word on purpose (laughs) to tolerate an increased amount of time that you give to that because i think most of us like we can do it for five minutes and then we start feeling like i got to get productive i got i have to do something and so you have to train yourself to go from five minutes to six minutes to seven etc there's a couple thoughts a couple thoughts that come to mind with respect to that there is uh, some people find that when they do meditation that they can also include prayer as a part of the meditation. So it's instead of most of us, I think, as Lutheran guys, we kind of compartmentalize stuff and we say, well, first I'll do meditation and then I'll do prayer. You know, like it's right, yeah. stage one, stage two. That's kind of like what I do. What well, I, I know. I, no, I think that's kind of consistent with how a guy thinks. I mean, we mostly think that way. But it, but to think of it in terms of, if I was to, if I was to include prayer in the meditation itself, then what what would that look like? It would. How would I do that? And so there is a. Uh, there is a method uh, that I was introduced to a number of years ago um, by uh, one of my Lutheran pastor friends, Walt Weiser, who's done a lot of thinking and then um, developing of ways to do that so that it doesn't, one thing flows from one thing to another instead of feeling like that I'm following this sort of outline and I have to do this and this and this. So anyway, he came across this resource called Praying the Scriptures, and it's based on a an old. It probably came out of the Catholicism, like back in the Middle Ages or something, called Lectio Divina. That's L. It's Latin L E C I O Divina, and what it is is actually a way to read a, a passage of scripture. And you, as you read it, you're you're doing the breathing while you read it. So the Psalms are like the natural one to do, like the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So there's a breathing cadence that goes with it. But then there's also some meditative uh, questions that go with it. So it, it's a form of reading the Scripture and allowing the Spirit— to take your mind to the place in that passage that uh, sort of grabs you, I would say it that way, grabs you, uh, grabs your attention. 
and then you meditate on that word or on that phrase that's in that scripture that you read, and you read through it several times, and then at the end of that time, then you pray, you ask a prayer or say a prayer of, of basically consisting of, um, God, open my eyes to see you at work today in, co- in correspondence with or connection with that passage that I just read. It's very interesting if, if you wanted to at some point include the Scripture and then actually praying the scripture. What I've found that's interesting about that in practicing that is that then all through the day, my mind, when I'm sort of not thinking about anything or even when I am thinking about something, my mind goes there. And something will happen during the day where that passage will come to my mind. It's like so weird. <laughs> but it's a great weird because it's like, wow, you know, there's some application today of what I read and meditated on and prayed on that day. So it affects your mindset, I think is what it is. It, and I love how you're doing it because you're starting the day that way. It's almost like you're setting what's called a positive intention for the day. Right. And what's neat about positive intention is, is that your mindset and what you see, the perception that you have toward things, is impacted by the in- intention you set. So if you start out your day going, oh, this is going to be a crappy day. Look at all the stuff I have to do. And, and God, i got to meet with those people. And besides that, the sun ain't even shining. And I just know it's going to be a lousy commute. Okay? If you start your day out that way then you're going to have all this negativity flowing out of you and you'll attract negative people toward right. you you know but there's some case to be made for a, a positive or a gospel centered intention for the day wondering what that would be like right and so, i and i approach it with the mindset that god has given me this time to help me yes help me focus on myself get myself kind of centered for for the rest of the day yes and yes. and then i give a prayer of thanksgiving mm-hmm. as a result at the at the end. Absolutely, um, yeah. And so I'm I'm still playing around with the with my own formatting. Good for, for the meditation. Good, good, good. Keep playing, Phil. We'll, we'll figure out. Yeah, keep playing. No, on. that's great. That's because it will evolve. It's it's not. When I was your age, the idea of doing this was like, forget it. I don't even know what that is. I don't have time for that. Okay. Um, so I really commend you at this point in your life that you're even thinking about those things and then incorporating them and then allowing them to evolve in whatever form or whatever fashion, you know? Right. And yeah. and there are times when, when I was trying this meditation stuff out, I'm like, I'm just sitting there. Yeah. I'm like, what, why am I doing this? I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking about X, Y, Z. I'm trying to concentrate on breathing, but it's hard to do yes. both at the same time. And yes. like, that's the whole, that's the whole point. And so I, mm-hmm. so there was one podcast that I was listening to where they were talking about meditation. And one guy said, like, I'll be, I'll be happy if I even get like five minutes 
you know, yeah. in, in my meditation, yeah. in an actual like meditation. Right. And that's kind of the, right. that's kind of the goal that you have to set. Like mm-hmm. you, you'd set a low bar and then you work up from No, the, that's from no there. question about that. Same it's, thing as in with like weightlifting and whatnot. Oh. I started like whenever I was lifting weights, I started with like just an empty bar and yeah. then you add in right. two and a half pound weights on each side. That's right. But then you repeat it and eventually yeah. you get up to over 200 yeah. pounds or whatever for, yeah. you know, a squat or well, something Well, you're building like your stamina, <laughs> you're building your strength up. If right. you had started out at 150 pounds, you would have, or if I would have, I would have strained all my muscles, and then I couldn't even hardly lift the bar. Yeah, so. And then be discouraged from then on out. Yeah, to exactly. Else. And exactly. So your mind, your mind is no different. Yeah. No, really. that's right. We're training. That's why it's called discipline. You know, the idea of discipline is that um, everybody starts somewhere, but then you stick to it. You don't give up, um, and you just keep plodding away. And lo and behold, you stack enough of those days together and you can see some real results. Yeah. Are, are there any techniques or resources that you could recommend for anyone who might want to go into either uh, strengthening their mental discipline or whether it's, I don't know, seeking help somehow hmm. in some form or fashion? Sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah, thanks, Phil. <laughs> uh, just uh, I just happened to be thinking of that. Oh, here I have a whole list I'm right wondering. in front of me. Yeah, I just, right. Just, like, where would you go? How about that? Well, um, I'm very interested in. Um, or what do you like to do? Well, okay, that? but <laughs> thanks, Phil. That's even worse. Um, so, well, okay. So one of the things that uh, my wife uh, Victoria and I do which we're able now to do that easier than when our daughter was little and you have to spend every morning getting her ready for school and then go to school and then, you know, it's rush, rush, rush. Okay, so I'm in a different place in my life right now, but it could be that it's similar to where you are too because uh, newlyweds and you're not married. I mean, you are married, but you don't have kids. So there's adding children to your life forces you to change your routine. Okay, so we'll just go with that. Yeah, it forces you to reprioritize. Yeah, well, sure. just the timing of stuff, yeah. you know. Uh, you know, it's everything is kind of geared around to getting them out the door. <laughs> so so what we do now is, and we're pretty consistent. Every once in a while we, we goof it up, but pretty consistent about in, in the morning we have our coffee together. We have some conversation about the day or whatever is on our mind. And then we have a devotional time together. And uh, currently, we're reading through um, some literature that's put out by one of our favorite authors, Catholic guy. Um, his name is Henry Nowen, and he's done some really great, in our view anyway, some really great, provocative, not controversial, but just thought-producing, thought-provoking Stuff. So right now we're working through a little book called Turn Your Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, Turn Your Morning into Dancing. And so it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a little book that is written all about grief and how you, uh, the transformative impact that grief can have on your life. But we've read now and over lots and lots and lots over the years, so he's written probably 50 books. And and uh, we we really enjoy that. Then scripture is a part of it. My wife loves Isaiah, so we read a little bit of Isaiah, and then we have a prayer. And in our prayer, sometimes she prays, sometimes I pray. We pray out loud, and we have a list of people that we pray for. Some are in our church, some are in our family, some of are in our extended, you know, friendships and that sort of thing. 
And so the whole thing, that whole time together is about 30 minutes. But we didn't start out there at 30 minutes. We worked up to that. And we figured out 30 minutes is a pretty good way to start the day. I find that when we don't do it for whatever reason, um, it just feels like something's off, you know, that day. So that tells me that that we've gotten to where we really count on that as a way to start the day, a positive intention, if you will, for the day. So that's that's part of what we do. Uh, I would invite you to, I'm gonna, since I'm looking right at you, I'm saying you, but I would invite you to take a look at the Lectio Divina stuff. That's it's pretty good. Um, I, I am fascinated about the idea of using an app. I've got some clients that, that like to use apps. I would always suggest that, and maybe there is such a thing as a Christian or biblical app, so that it, it does incorporate the breathing and maybe a little bit of visualization, that sort of thing, but that the content of the words being spoken or the music that's being played would be more in line with a biblical rather than Eastern religion kinds of stuff. Again, not that I am so pure that I couldn't listen to a gong or something that would be of uh, Eastern origin. It's just that I am very mindful of the impact that subliminal messaging has on the brain. And when a person is in a meditative state, that person's mind and heart and body is very receptive and in some sense susceptible to whatever might else be there that is just below the surface. So I would say that um, some of the Eastern religion stuff uh, comes across in a very subliminal way, and I would be cautious about that. Okay, not not afraid of it, not at all. Um, just to be aware that there's stuff on the surface and there's stuff underneath. Okay, and so that's why I like a biblical basis. The other reason is because um, it's in the biblical stuff that. We find the real power of God, um, as opposed to in some of the Eastern religions, is the power of something else, but not God. And so I would be cautious about that. Right. Okay. Some, sometimes it's more the power of, of self. I've come to to observe. Yes. Is more like is is more. You have it within yourself to do all things to do right. X Y Z. Right. And that that can be from more of a just a spirituality perspective mm-hmm. rather than a s- mm-hmm. specific Christian perspective right. um, where it, it, it always it always gets me whenever I hear people say that they're not religious but they're mm-hmm. spiritual right. um, or even if or or they're they just don't believe in anything they're right. atheist um, and for for me I just take the perspective well you're of some you may say you're not religious, but you are of a part of some sort of religion, yeah. whether that be no religion or... The even, religion of no religion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, whether, sure. Or even the Christian religion. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, even if you're relig- even if you have no religion, like your faith is that there is nothing. That's like, correct. That, that's what your faith is. That in. is right. Yeah. <laughs> you still, you know, it's either, it, it's kind of like the argument, even nothing is something, yeah. which is nothing, you know, yeah. sure, it's a little bit circular, but... Yeah. But but that's kind of my point. Even if you even if you aren't religious, but you say you're spiritual, then you are you are your own faith. Yeah, in it, a way. yeah. I mean, it's the irony is that 
if I say I don't believe in anything, then what I'm really saying is I believe totally in myself. So it, it kind of comes down to either, you know, what what's your God? Is is your God God, you know, as, as, as he's revealed in the scripture, or is it yourself? Um, you may not refer to it as God. Yeah, but that, you would, that's right. And most, a lot else, of people yeah. won't, you know, they, they won't commit to that. But, but that's what it comes down to. Um, if you really want to boil it all the way down. And, and so then at the end of the day, where can I find legitimately a legitimate source of, of temporal and eternal comfort with respect to how life goes on right now? And then thinking about, you know, life after this life, where do I find that comfort? And the, I think the difficulty for a lot of people who, who, who say that, that well, I'm my own God, or I'm my own person, what, however they say it, ultimately there's not a lot of comfort in that beyond what you can do for yourself. But the problem is we do a lot of stuff for ourselves that blows up in our face. <laughs> and then what? You know, oh, well, I can make, I can do over again, but... But that, but still, that you end up living in this sort of uncertain, sh- shaky ground. Right, and, and some people have the power to, you know, take that that disaster that happens yeah. and, and build on top of that, you right. know, become become stronger. But others, right. it can it can completely set back, disorganize, devastate in a way. Well, I mean, the struggle is what what do you do with stuff in life that you can't control? Right. You know, where do you where do you find your comfort? And if you if you're not Approaching this from a God perspective, again, as we're using the word God here from a Christian perspective, if I was to say, well, I don't know what's going to happen politically, and I don't know what's going to happen to the economy, and it could everything could go to you-know-what in a handbasket tomorrow, but I'm comforted and reassured by the fact that God's in charge. See, if I've rejected God as the God that he doesn't even exist, well, then I don't know what comforting thing I could say that would give me any hope beyond my ability to do something about these things. But there's so much in life that, that the individual himself cannot control that, that where do you find your ultimate comfort and source of hope. I think to some degree the, uh, the, there, that there's a correlation, maybe not a cause, but there's a correlation between how hopeless people feel in the face of what they can't control, and who they believe in as being the ultimate source of that comfort. And if I'm, if I'm the ultimate source of my own comfort, then I can see where hope goes out the window because there's so much I can't control. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, it's just hard for me to sort of, and, some, some, and I really struggle with this, how do I, I don't know how to relate to somebody who is truly, I mean, you know, not just in words, but truly is coming at this from an um, atheistic perspective, because I'm thinking, gosh, where do you find your hope, you know? I don't know what to do with that. I was on a thought. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, well, I see the so, thought all yeah. over your face, Philip. So, yes. Uh, I, I, re- I can't remember exactly where I read it, somewhere online, uh, describing an atheist being the most altruistic 
because and the reasoning was because you know because they don't believe in in a higher power or right. whatever that would hold them accountable uh-huh. if they do something that is perceived as good mm-hmm. you know they're not it's not that they're doing it for themselves they they are just doing that action because it is right because it's good to do okay and so the like the moral of the story, I may be butchering this a little bit, but it's like so whenever you see someone that's in need, pretend that you're an atheist. Yeah. And that there is no God. Yeah. And that like, okay, there's there's no one else that's going to help you, the person that's in need. Right. Uh there there's no there there is no God that will help you, so I'll help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of playing <laughs> off of that. <laughs> No, no, I, I'm trying to track with you here. So go, keep, keep going. And so that that that's where, like, now I'm trying to say, like, well, where does that hope come from? Mm-hmm. Where where do they find their hope? They yeah. really would just find the hope in themselves because that's the only being that that can have hope. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, but again, once again, it's, it's, it's of the self. You, if you say that you are your own god, I mean, or however you use that word, I mean, how you would say it, then basically you are saying that you alone or mankind itself is the source of hope. So, whatever your level of hope is, or the existence of hope in you, it might be optimism, maybe, or something like that. But, but there that you would find your source of that in in humankind, okay? The, I think the dilemma for a lot of people is what do you do with evil? What do you, what do, you do when mankind lets you down? You know, um, again, it, especially if you can't change it, especially if you can't, if you have no influence over it. Yes, you can change your own behavior, but how do you stay hopeful in in the face of a world where, um, you know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of bad things, and you, what are you going to do with that? And uh, so it just it is it is that it is that dilemma. I don't know if I agree with the idea of that atheists are the most altruistic because it kind of makes it sound like the only reason then that a believer would do a good thing is because. He knows that God is looking over his shoulder, and and is going to zap him if he doesn't do it. You know, I mean, right. just, yeah, that is that's what it feels like. That there. not that yeah. you believe that, but yeah. I'm saying you are articulating that, and I'm thinking that's kind of what that sounds like. That that it sort of suggests that there would be there there could be no selfish motives whatsoever in an atheist, but there would be plenty of selfish <laughs> motives in in the mind of the of the Christian. Yeah, there certainly right. can be, no question about that, but. Uh, there's a lot of good that people do that ends up being pretty self-serving. I do it because it feels good. Right. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, you know, with having that like, the word the key because is because good. if I'm doing yeah. it because it feels good, well what if I decide it doesn't feel good? Like take forgiveness for example. What if it doesn't feel good for me to forgive you? But what would really feel good is holding a grudge. Right. Okay? Well, you know, I mean what and yet the scriptures come across with forgive your brother three times, seven times, no, 70 times, seven. I mean, it just, you know, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, counter-instinctual, in, in, especially if I think my brother might keep on hurting me, you know? Right. Are you kidding? Forgive him. 
And and so the power to do that. I mean, see, that's kind of where I I go, I go back to this idea of of the value, a value of having a believing in God and have and having God in your life is He provides the power to do what is seemingly impossible, humanly impossible to do. And forgiveness is one of those areas where, because our feelings and our emotions get in the way, oftentimes, um, or we just don't trust the other person, we think, it's not in my best interest to forgive that person. And humanly, from a human perspective, there's no way I have the power to do that. I'm not about to do that. That's where I got to lean on the power of God's grace to literally help me do what I feel is impossible for me to do in that moment. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, Please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.